questions and answers. America has had two great reform movements, the abolition of slavery and the civil rights movements that corrected the course of our nation and made her a stronger country. Today, there are dangerous movements that seek to tear down the United States. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat will explain how America was able to make reforms that built our nation and why some movements today should raise our concern. Now, on to part one of a message entitled, American Exceptionalism. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, today we're going to talk about American exceptionalism. I know I'm going to be rattling off a lot of information here, and those of you listening on the radio, I don't expect you to get it all. So if you want this full sermon to listen, you know, at full length, go to our radio website, evidenceandanswers.org, evidenceandanswers.org, and there you can listen to this sermon at your own pace and get all the information that I am presenting here because I'm going to be quoting a lot of our founding fathers. And as I begin, I want you to know that I got a lot of my references from some great sources. One of them is God in America by former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich. Another source I quote a lot is Paul Johnson, A History of the American People. And then another great book is by Michael Novak called On Two Wings. And another great website where you're going to find a lot of the information that I am presenting here is at Wall Builders with David Barton. So Wall Builders, that's another great website on American history that I recommend. Well, Psalm 33 verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. You know, and this biblical principle is real simple. When a nation honors the Lord and the law of God that nation prospers and is blessed by God. Those nations that turn away from God crumble. And if you study the history of nations, you'll see that principle throughout the history of the world. Well, America has been a tremendously blessed nation. And over a hundred years ago, Alexis de Tocqueville, a French political philosopher, traveled to America in 1831 to discover the reasons for her greatness. He traveled for about four years throughout the United States to discover what was the secret to America's greatness. And he wrote his findings in his famous book, Democracy in America, published in 1835. It was one of the most influential books of the 19th century. And in this book, he wrote that America is an exceptional country. So that's where we get the term American exceptionalism from. It's from Alexis de Tocqueville here, who said America is an exceptional country. No nation has risen to prominence so quickly, has prospered, and been a nation of freedom as the United States have been. And the influence of the United States throughout the world is unprecedented. Well, historians have studied American history to discover how she became great and the formula for her success. And many will attribute her greatness to her resources or her economy or multiculturalism or democratic form of government. But what makes America exceptional 
are the principles upon which she was built. These foundational principles are what framed our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution upon which our government is built. However, should we depart from these foundational principles, America will cease to be great. And today we are at a crossroads. If we continue dismantling the foundation upon which we were built, many believe this could be the generation that sees the decline and eventual collapse of America. However, if we're able to correct our path, we will be giving our children the gift of a free and a blessed nation that was handed down to us. Now, what are those foundational principles? Well, it is the principles built on the Christian faith and the Bible that lay the foundation for our freedom and prosperity. You cannot read our founding documents or study our history and ignore this fact. Alexis de Tocqueville wrote in his great book, he said this, For Americans, the ideas of Christianity and liberty are so completely mingled that it is almost impossible to get them to conceive on one without the other. You know, a leading scholar from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, speaking to a group of Westerners in 2002, stated that his team was researching the answer to this question, what is it that made America great? And they studied the United States for many years. And in the end, he concluded, here speaking in 2002, he concluded that it was not our military might, nor our political system, nor our economic system. He stated that it was the Christian moral foundation that made possible that emergence of free market, trade, and democracy. The influence of the Bible and Christianity cannot be denied. And today, our history textbooks, America was, has been revised to teach that America was founded by men who were deists, agnostics, and atheists, and that the Christian religion played an insignificant part of our history, or it had a negative part in our history. So I hope to show you that in our brief time together, that Christianity played a major role in our foundation and was the key factor in our rise to prominence and remains the key factor if we are to continue a free and strong nation into the future. Now, the Christian faith and Bible played a central role from the beginning of our nation and throughout our history. Let's take a look at our first settlers. Many of the Puritans came because they felt the Church of England could not be reformed. And the pilgrims came to the New World not only to escape the persecution, but to glorify God and advance the Christian faith. The Mayflower Compact reads this, In the name of God, Amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. So the pilgrims intended to sail to Virginia, but were blown off course, and instead they landed at Cape Cod and eventually settled on a site we know as Plymouth Colony. Before they disembarked, they drafted a governing document called the Mayflower Compact. The document, brief paragraph I just read for you there. And this decision would change the course of history. See, the Puritans determined to write their liberties on a document, and that was a new idea. England and the countries of Europe did not have written laws. It was oral. And what the Puritans did in writing down their laws was unique. And the idea 
to write down disagreement comes right from the Bible. It's based on a biblical covenant that God made with the nation of Israel that you can see there in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Historian Paul Johnson states, what was remarkable about this particular contract was that it was not between a servant and a master or a people and a king, but between a group of like-minded individuals and each other with God as witness and symbolic co-signatory. Now the Mayflower Compact laid the groundwork for our future government. See, the pilgrims believe that their liberties came not from the king or from government, but that it came from God. Political power then came from the people and any ruler derived his power from the people under God. All right, and that comes from biblical teaching. The Mayflower Compact contained the seeds for the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. So you can see that the Christian faith and the Bible played a huge role in our founding, but it also played a huge role in the education of America. During the first 200 years, the Bible was the main textbook in America. By the turn of the 19th century, John Adams stated that finding an illiterate man in New England was as rare as a comet. And our education was thoroughly Christian, and that's undeniable. In fact, one of the first English printed books in the United States is the Bible of the Revolution, printed in 1782. It's the first English language Bible to be printed in America. You see, before the Revolutionary War, Bibles were not allowed to be printed in English in the United States. They had to come from England. But once we broke away from England and established our independence, Congress realized there was a shortage of Bibles, and Congress commissioned the printing of this Bible called the Bible of the Revolution. So it's Congress then that endorsed the printing of the Bible in the United States. It was endorsed by Congress, and if you Turn to the first page of the Bible of the Revolution. There are just a few copies left today. If you turn to that first page, you can see that it was endorsed by Congress for the purpose of what? To be the textbook used in our schools. Well, talk about separation of church and state. I mean, how far have we departed where we are battling now to allow our students to even bring a Bible to our public schools? The New England Primer was the first textbook printed in America, and it was the book that was used in our schools. And you can see it was thoroughly Christian. The ABCs were taught with biblical truths. If you look through its pages, you know, the ABCs, for example, says A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. B, heaven to find the Bible mind. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. And that's how you learn the alphabet there. Education throughout the colonies, we also know, was thoroughly biblically based. The first public school law was passed in 1647 in Massachusetts, and it's called the Old Deluder Act, intended to defeat Satan, the old deluder, who used illiteracy in the old world to keep people from finding the truth of God's word. So the main purpose of schools in New England was to teach children to read the Bible, because this would instill within them not only a healthy respect of God, but a very strong moral code. The first 100 colleges were founded 
by Christians on Christian principles. The vast majority of them were Bible college and seminaries trained not only to instill men with the knowledge of God and a strong moral law code, but also to train many men and women to be missionaries for the new frontier. Harvard, America's first college founded in 1636, named after the Reverend John Harvard, was distinctly a Christian college. The original design of Harvard read in Latin, Veritas Christo Ecclesia, Truth for Christ and the Church, which was adopted in 1692. Now, at some point, the seal was changed, and now it simply reads Veritas, or Truth. It states in the student handbook, early on it stated, Laws and statutes for students. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John 17:3. Yale University, another one of our oldest colleges here, in their manual for the students, it once read, All scholars shall live religion and godly and blameless lives according to the rules of God's word. Diligently read the Holy Scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and constantly attend upon all duties of religion, both in public and in secret. So you can see how the Christian faith played a key role in our founding, in our education, and in the unifying of our nation. Before the Revolutionary War... A great event occurred. It's unfortunate. It's not often taught in our history textbooks anymore. But this event was key to the success, the beginning and the success of the American Revolution. What is this event? Well, it's the Great Awakening. This is the event that unified the United States. The Great Awakening, many of you may not have heard about, it was a spiritual revival. It was a Christian spiritual revival that broke out in the colonies that changed America not only spiritually, but politically. So it was this spiritual revival which was the key factor in uniting the separate pre-revolutionary war colonies together to form the United States. You see, for the first 150 years, The colonies were generally not in touch with one another and functioned independently. Well, when this great revival broke out called the Great Awakening, this spiritual revival broke out in the colonies, and this is what transformed the United States. The great preachers of the revival were Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, and both men traveled up and down the East Coast preaching from New England to Georgia, and people from all over the country were crossing state lines to come and hear these great preachers preach, and many thousands came to faith in Christ. Historian Paul Johnson writes, The Great Awakening may have touched as many as three out of four American colonists. He further writes that it was the Great Awakening that sounded the death knell of British colonialism. Soon after the Revolutionary War, our second president, John Adams, stated this. He said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the only principles in which the beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And what were these general principles? I answer the general principles of Christianity in which all sects were united. 
we see what brought America together was the word of God. And as we look around our country today, you can see that America is becoming a fractured and a divided nation. And what is it that's going to bring the United States back together? Well, I believe it's the same thing that brought the United States together over 200 years ago. That is another great awakening. Only God and a spiritual revival of God's word and biblical truth can reunite our nation together again. So it's the Christian faith that brought the nation together, and we see the impact of the Christian faith in our founding documents that lay the groundwork for the government and the freedoms that we have today. See, the Bible was key in the formation of our government. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, writes in his book, Rediscovering God in America, he states, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights all show that America's founding fathers intended to forge a nation under God. In a book titled The Origins of American Constitutionalism, two political science professors, Donald Lutz and Charles Heinemann, did a groundbreaking study in which they examined 15,000 documents written during America's founding era between 1760 and 1805, and they discovered the most cited source in their political writings was, guess what? It was the Bible, by far. They counted over 3,000 citations and references in these writings and found that the book by far that was most frequently cited was the Bible. 34% of citations came from the Bible, second most 8% from Montesquieu, 7% from Blackstone, and 3% from Locke. Now, even these men who had tremendous influence on our founding fathers, Montesquieu, Blackstone, and Locke, they were tremendously influenced by biblical truth. John Locke, one of Jefferson's main sources for his revolutionary ideas that he wrote in the Declaration of Independence, John Locke explained that the law of nature is God's general revelation he writes in our hearts. Comes from Romans chapter 2. But Locke also spoke of the law of God as God's eternal moral law revealed in published scripture. John Locke stated this, he said, The study of morality, of this there are books writ both by ancient and modern philosophers. But the morality of the gospel doth so exceed them all, that to give man a full knowledge of true morality, I shall send him to no other book but the New Testament. And that's from John Locke. Montesquieu, another cited source by our founding fathers, he was a French political philosopher. And he wrote in the spirit of the laws, he stated that God is the source of the moral law. He wrote, God is related to the universe as creator and preserver. The laws by which he created all things are those by which he preserves them. He acts according to these rules because he knows them. He knows them because he made them. He made them because they are in relation to his wisdom and power. William Blackstone, a British jurist, who wrote commentaries on British law, said this. He said, Upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of revelation, depend all human laws. That is to say, no human law should be suffered to contradict these. So the most cited source in our founding documents by far was the Bible. And even these three men, who are the next most cited references, got their ideas right from the Bible as well. In fact, these historians 
did their research, they discovered that many ideas for the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers come right from the Bible. And the sermons of the pastors who were preaching from that era. You know, the pastors would preach their messages and would be reprinted like newspapers and passed around there up and down the East Coast. And many of the pastors were preaching these ideas relating to biblical truth, moral law, and the government. Take a look at our Declaration of Independence. This is our birth certificate. This is the why of America. And you'll see that our Declaration of Independence states their basis of freedom is built on a creator, creation, and a God-given moral law. There are four direct references to God clearly in our Declaration. And references to the Bible are all over the place. Here are some of the direct references to God here. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. Of course, the famous statement there, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Creation, creator, God-given moral absolutes. Where do they come from? They come right from the Bible. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these United States colonies are and of the right ought to be free and independent states. And then they conclude with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. And they're referring to the biblical God who superintends the affairs of all men. So our founding fathers believe that their cause was just and moral, and they were appealing to the Bible and to God as their judge. You see, unfortunately, our history books have been written from a socialist perspective, and many of us are taught that the Revolutionary War was fought all about economics. It was all about money, taxation without representation. But if you read the original documents themselves, and I didn't read them until I got to graduate school because that's where I was learning. You know, you need to read the original documents for themselves. You want to know what an author thought, you got to read the original documents. And our founding fathers believe that they had a just and a moral cause. And what were they basing their cause upon? What was the standard of justice? It was the Bible. It was biblical truth taught in the Bible. They were appealing to God's law and to God as their judge. So our founding fathers believed they had a just cause. They were battling injustice and tyranny. It was, this war was not fought only about economics. In high school and college, you know, I was taught the reason we went to war was taxation without representation. All right, it was fought about money. 
Well, no, if you read the founding documents, they, our founding fathers believed they had a just cause based on biblical principles, and they were appealing to God as the just judge. And when you look at the Declaration of Independence, there's a list of 27 grievances, all right? They were battling injustice and tyranny there. And when you look at the list of grievances, taxation without representation was not even in the top 10. I think it was number 17, Right. In fact, of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, 24 had degrees from seminary. That's contrary to what we're taught in school today, that our founding fathers were a bunch of deist agnostics and atheists here. Now, the principles that framed our Constitution also come right from the Bible. The Constitution is the how of American government. The Declaration of Independence is the why. The Constitution is the how of the American government. And a key ideology that guided the Constitution was the concept of human sinfulness. This was key for the Constitution. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally. That number in Hawaii is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcast, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there on the homepage. You will also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrat. Zucrat.